All right, so we're in a series of messages based on the fruit of the Spirit from the book of Galatians. Last month, we were looking at the fruit of faith or faithfulness. This month, we're looking at the fruit of the Spirit, gentleness. And so all these messages are called Gently, and I've got this t-shirt. And I, I, we've got a bit of a design, a design whoops, because people keep asking me, what's up with the lightning martini? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, man. It's like the time I bought a baseball cap at a gas station, and I thought it was a baseball team, but it was actually a beer company that I had. And I was, everyone's like, what? What? Aren't you in ministry? Yeah, it's baseball. No, it's not baseball. <laughs> Anyhow... We have a big box in our basement because we had to buy a, a new washing machine this summer. And one of the labels they put on boxes is that international sign of fragile, which is a broken glass, which is what we were kind of going for. But we wanted a bit more of a Y-shape than the wine glass shape. And so now you know and leave me alone. <laughs> but the... Uh... It's about gentleness and the fruit of the Spirit. So here we are. October is gentleness month. And interestingly, the same word in Greek that we would translate gentleness from this verse is also the same word that you would translate humility elsewhere, where it's prautes. And so I've rejigged it in the fruit of the Spirit here. I've retranslated it. This is the RSV, Rob, Superversion. And I put the word humility in there instead of gentleness. And it's totally legit. But I'll read it for you. Galatians 5, 22 through 23 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, humility, self-control. And this is a description of what life is like in heaven. And what life will be like when there's no more sin in our hearts or in our lives, everything's going to be this. And when the Holy Spirit of God who is sent on the church at the day of Pentecost, when he's really moving and we're really flexing with him and we're not resistant to him and we've given up hating each other and we're not fighting each other and nitpicking each other and trying to control each other and get stuff from each other, this is what it feels like. This is the flavor of a congregation that is really filled with the Spirit. And we're, we're taking a month for each one of the fruits. Um, notice that people like to declare months to belong to certain characteristics of life. And, and I got really excited and uh, thought we could, we could do this and even better. So here we go. So we're going to have a message today on gentleness, a message today on humility. And so the title of the message today is... The president and lead pastor of one of Canada's fastest growing churches is guide to becoming so humble you can achieve all your goals, impress your friends, and leave the competition eating your dust. Are you excited? Are you excited? Are you excited to walk on the faces of your enemies as you try to achieve your humility goals? <laughs> Amen? Are you ready to become the best church in Canada as we reach out to become humble? 
Yes. Yeah, this is my sense of humor coming out. When I was working on this, I was like, who actually decides who are the fastest growing churches wherever they are? Like, we are the fastest growing church at 305 Main Street. Even when we lose people because of messages like this, we're still the fastest growing church at 305 Main Street. But the little, like, subtle hmm part is that it makes you think that we often don't associate being humble with actually achieving the goals we actually have. We don't actually associate being humble with actually having our friends and family think well of us. And we don't actually necessarily associate being humble with winning. Huh. 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 Something to think about. So when you end up doing a message on humility, um, I wouldn't ever recommend it. <laughs> like, really don't. Save yourself. Um, this was by accident. When I was thinking about how the Greek word for gentleness is humility, I was, it was about Thursday when things were going really bad for me. And I was thinking about this, and I was like, oh, no. I'm doing a message on humility. No, because you know your life is going to suck for a while. And stuff is going to happen which reveals the junk in your mind and your heart so that you don't enjoy your life very much. Because all your pride is going to get exposed in a subtle way. And you realize that you're going to have to trade in your Captain Awesome Sauce trophy because you're unworthy of it. So the message was a mess until this morning. And so um, I kind of just randomly got the idea of preaching about growing in the fruit of the spirit of gentleness through humility from this rando passage from the Bible. All right. So this is from the Gospels. It's from the Gospels of Luke. This is the story of the creator God of the universe come down to earth to finally and definitively execute the awesome rescue plan to save his image-bearing human beings and all of creation from themselves by dying for sin and rising from the grave and pouring out the Holy Spirit so that anybody who comes to Jesus can get a new heart and have a new life and the impossible can become possible but it just happened 2,000 years ago in dusty old Israel. And uh, everything went wrong most of the time. And so in the midst of Jesus' ministry, he's gathered these disciples to himself. And they're kind of finally getting to the point where they can admit that there's something really special about Jesus. And they're starting to say, I think you're the, the Messiah. And he says, now it's time to go to Jerusalem and as you're reading the Gospel of Luke, this passage is a major change in how the Gospel's working. There's kind of like the before the trip to Jerusalem part, and then there's the once Jesus is heading to Jerusalem part. And this transitions the whole Gospel from Jesus becoming famous and healing people and getting notoriety and becoming kind of infamous to now's the time to go and end this. And this is how his journey to Jerusalem starts. It says, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, that means to 
go and suffer and die and be raised from the dead and then ascend back to heaven. He set his face to go to Jerusalem. And as I read that, I, you just get the sense that Jesus knows these are not the fun days. The good days are gone. The hard days are upon him. He sets his face with determination to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. So this is kind of how they would do it. This was their version of uh, putting something on Facebook to let people know that... Facebook? Who uses Facebook? Instagram? No, that's dead. TikTok? Hopefully soon. They posted this on X. X. Yeah, we got a Chad bro in the front row here. Awesome. They posted this on X, and we're getting some really good interactions. Um, but then it went south, and the and the the bots came out, and the trolls. He sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. And they went on to another village. Okay, so just use your mind's eye, picture this thing, robes, sandals, people walking, village, rejection, little side conversation. Should we call in an airstrike? No. Let's just keep going. Now there's dynamics going on here. Um, can I make it awkward? The answer is yes. I know if you were here for the baby dedications, you didn't sign up for this part. But if you have been here a few times, what's about to happen is your own fault. So the Samaritans were the colonizers. So what happened is a few centuries before this, um, the Israelites, who had been reduced because of their disobedience to God down to just Judah and Benjamin, because the northern kingdom had gone into exile, but the, Judah, the, the Judahites and the Benjaminites had uh, been disobedient obedient and unfaithful and rejecting towards Yahweh enough so that he finally enacted the promised exile. At the end of the book of Deuteronomy, God prophesied that this would happen and promised that if you persist in being unfaithful to me by loving everything else besides me, there will come a day where I'll send you into exile. And he enacted this. And this happened in the book of Kings too. And this happened in the book of Chronicles. And one of the things that the Babylonians, who were the instrument of the exile, did back then is that in order to uh, demoralize a people group so that they wouldn't be rebellious, they would take that people group that they conquered out of their homeland so that they wouldn't be fighting for their homeland anymore, and they would replace those people with people from other nations so that everybody would be less likely to rebel against the Babylonians because everybody was living amongst people they didn't know and couldn't unite with and in places they didn't care about and wouldn't fight for. Does that make sense? You're less likely to rebel when you're a stranger in a strange land. 
So the Samaritans are the descendants of the colonizers that the empire sent to go and take over the land of Israel and populate it. And they had been living there for centuries. And now after the 70 years that the Israelites had been in exile, a remnant returned and started to rebuild. And there's lots of history that happened between then. The Greek Empire and Alexander the Great did a lot of stuff. And then the Roman Empire um, rose up. But here were the indigenous people, the, the Israelites. And they are oppressed by the empire, which is the Romans. And then there are areas in Samaria where there are the remnants of colonizers there. Do you feel feel it a bit now? Where the feelings could be at and the thoughts? These are the facts. The Samaritans were the white people in our context. So James and John did not feel like gentleness was owed anybody. When something went bad. Welcome to the human heart. There are situations and people which each one of us feel like we have the right to mistreat because of. Welcome to the human heart. There's history, there's past, there's dynamics, there's politics. We all have somebody that we can treat like they're not Jesus. And it's the right thing to do. Now, I know when we read the Bible, we always put ourselves in the good guys line. You know what I mean? There's something about that. Nobody ever watches Star Wars and you're like, that's a terrible movie because I'm one of the stormtroopers. Right? And I know the, the, some of the kids, they want to be Darth Vader. They do. Darth's the coolest. But he got redeemed. Which isn't totally true. Like, once you've blown up a planet, I think you're done. <laughs> maybe, John, you'd shake your head. Well, Maybe. It's hard to come back from Alderaan, like in, in the real world, usually. It's like that, uh, what's his name, Kylo? Oh, yeah. yeah, Kylo. They tried to make him into this like heartthrob for the other one. He stabbed his dad in the heart. He murdered Han. Only Hollywood could try to pull off redeeming that. I'd... Without some like serious repentance. But he's so handsome and and love. And I know I'm talking about serious things, but and I'm not trying to I poke. They all have history. In their hearts they're like, You guys just diss Jesus. Let's kill him. 
And this is normal. This is normal. I feel like what's going on in the world amongst all the things that God is doing is he wants to try to wake us up. We have been so naive about what the broken, sinful world is actually like. And then we read the Bible and we're like, we're still in Sunday school a little bit. We, still, we, we tell stories about Samson like he's a good guy. We tell stories about Noah's flood and there's no bodies floating in the water. We talk about Jesus as a discipler and we don't talk about the, the time he just said, stop wanting genocide to his disciples. And he did it very gently when he corrected them. But this is how Jesus started. I mean, guys, can we just think about life from Jesus' perspective just for a little bit? He's starting his walk to the cross. And this is how they started. So I just want to, I don't want to take too long this morning because I really want to pray. But I have two questions. Like, where did this fire come from in the disciples? Because they've been living with Jesus. If he's heading to Jerusalem, it's the last weeks or months of his life. According to the scholars, he's already been with them like a year or two. They're already in like year three of their DPS. Where did this fire come from? Because they, and the only thing I can see is they forgot who they were walking with. Here's one of the answers. Now, about eight days after this just had happened, this had just happened. Now, about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up to the mountain to pray. So, James and John are there. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothes became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, and when they became fully awake, they saw his glory. And the two men who stood with him, and as the men were parting from him, Jesus said to him, or Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. And he's, as he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. They had just seen Jesus in his flaming, bright glory. But it didn't cure them from seeing the world through their history. 
they had just heard the voice of God come from a cloud saying, you need to listen to my son. And they forgot. And there's something about a lack of gentleness and there's something about the disappearance of humility which almost always has to do with forgetting who Jesus actually is and that he's right here. Forgetting who Jesus actually is in his glory, in his power, in his ability. Like, burn your eyes out, awesome. And he's right here. I feel like I've told this story recently, but I'm going to tell it again. So I'm a twin, and he's probably going to come and visit in December, so you might get to see him. So if you want to be freaked out a little bit, come for that Sunday, and then we'll stand side by side and talk, and you'll just feel like, woo. But my brother's so selfish. He always had his birthday the same day as me. <laughs> so I've n- never just had a birthday to myself. He may have come out first, which may mean he could accuse me of being the one that steals his birthday, but whatever. So one time we had a birthday, we were kids, and uh, another kid from school got invited to the party, and he only brought a present for one of us. Just didn't clue in the mom, and that's totally fine. Have I told this story before? Anybody remember this one? Oh, man. But it was like one of those presents that had a few presents in it. There was like um, a big toy and a little toy. And one of the, the little toy was one of these like wrestler guys that is this tiny little thing that you put in water and it grows to be humongous. Did anybody ever have any of those toys growing up? Nowadays, they just use sponge because I think whatever they were using in the 80s was probably some sort of leftover chemical from some process. It's like we've got gasoline, we've got diesel fuel, we've got these little wrestler things, and whoever handles these things gets all these lumps on their hands and their face. So should we sell them to kids? Let's sell them to kids. Like, it used to be such a different world. Anybody remember lawn darts? They literally just took weapons from the Roman army and sold it to children. Let's take a dart this long with a sharp point and you just throw it into a hula hoop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just that, not at each other, of course. That will never happen. So the, the lawn dart thing used to be you throw the lawn dart into the air and then try not to get hit by it. And it was really just like a four inch spike which was really what the Romans used in war to try to soften up the enemy before they got them with the gladius thing. The 80s were so great. They were so good. I think it must have been before they like really took safety statistics seriously. and Whatever. So there's one of these little gross uh, wrestler things. And so my mom wisely tried to like be be 
uh, peacemaker, took the big present, gave it to me, because it was, I think, my friend that had come, took the little one, gave it to my twin brother. And I remember the twin brother, the wrestler thing was in the bowl of water growing, and I went into the kitchen, and there was just like that jealousy came over my heart as a kid. And I took that thing, and I dug my thumb into the kidney area of the wrestler and broke it and then walked away. And I remember sitting in the living room hearing my brother say, what happened to my wrestler? What happened to my wrestler? And my mom saying, oh, sorry, it must have come broken. I just, for like 15 years. We laugh now. Uh, You don't have to convince me that Cain and Abel is a true story. That wrestler was a 25-cent piece of nothing. And my mom could have bought me another one. There is something in our hearts, guys. There, there is something in our hearts uh, that is the most dangerous thing in our lives. This, this, when there's an opportunity for humility and saying no. I think there's a reason why the Bible says, like, press pause before the waters break out because once the dams burst, you cannot put that water back in there. But they, they, they saw Jesus. And it didn't stop them from wanting to call down fire on the Samaritans. The other thing was that they forgot... Uh, my clicker's broke. There we go, thank you. They forgot why they were walking. This had just happened. Now it happened, I'm actually reading the story backwards. Now it happened that as he was praying alone, this is Jesus, his disciples were with him, and he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? And some answered John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others that one of the prophets of old has risen. And then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter said, the Christ of God. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny him. See, this is the thing. This is the thing. Brother and sister, this is the thing. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. 
Guys, take this, take the word seriously. Take the word seriously. We've been warned. We've been warned. We've been warned. We are warned. If anyone would save his life, you'll lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits his soul? For whoever is ashamed... And this again, guys, guys, come on, come on, come on, come on. Think of the days we're in. Think of the days we're in. Think of the days we're in. For whoever is ashamed of me or my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his glory. And the glory of the Father and his holy angels. And I know this can sound harsh coming from the most gentle man who ever lived. But I think he says it here because he's dealing with the way the universe and heaven actually is now post-cross. If you don't like what I'm saying, you don't even begin to know God. If you don't like what I'm saying, you don't know how much I love you. You don't know what I'm saying. How can you say you know the Christ? I think that's what's going on. And they didn't hear it. They didn't hear it. They didn't hear it. It didn't go here. It didn't get here. And so the next thing we see after Jesus is saying to them, the whole walk is just to go to be rejected by everybody. That's the point. Now I'm walking to Jerusalem to be rejected by everybody. I'm going there to die. Don't worry, I'll be raised. But the whole reason I'm going there is to get rejected and killed. And then they go to Samaria and they get rejected. And they're like, let's get them. Do we ever forget why we're still alive as Christians? Do we forget that the mission is to see every tribe and tongue around the throne of grace for the glory of God? Do we forget that the only way to get there is one cross-carrying step after the other? As we join the Christ in his suffering, filling up in our own flesh the hurting that needs to happen for the good of the church. Yes. <laughs> you don't have to answer. I know the answer is yes. And we are capable of all kinds of stuff when we forget that we have seen the Lord. And we forget what kind of Lord he is. He's so offensive. He's so off the chart offensive in how humble he is. So, I don't even know what to go, where to go from here. I, I'll try to say something. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say it wrong, and I'm gonna hurt somebody, and you're gonna need to send me an email. I, and I'm, I, that wasn't meant to be a joke. Um, it is very hard to work on a message on gentleness when nations are rising up against nations. And when you see things online daily that make you want to hurt somebody and to fight and to make it right, 
it's really hard. You just think like, why would you ever even want gentleness? Somebody needs to do something. And I am not sitting in judgment on anybody or anything. I'm not doing what about ism. I'm not picking. I'm not not picking sides, and I'm not picking sides. I'm not doing anything like that. But I am just saying, like, it has hurt my process to try to be thinking about how humble Jesus is when he's ruling over a world where there is so much blatant evil that you and I can't handle it. Like, what kind of God are we dealing with who can forgive us? after all we've done and all we do, that Jesus can totally forgive us and love us forever. Who are you, God? Make us see you. Make us know you as you really are. And do right and bring justice to the world and have mercy and save. But, oh, Lord, help your church know you. So, I know we're, we're tackling big things, but can I just give some suggestions? If you ever struggle with humility, <laughs> how... It's funny, I can't even write how to grow into humility because that sounds too much like something you could be proud about. How to shrink into humility. Does that, that even doesn't sound right either, but that's probably more accurate. Number one, you guys, we need to love and be loved by Jesus. That's number one. Do you know, one, if you want to change in general, you're supposed to change by loving Jesus. That's how it works, especially when you want to grow in the Holy Spirit. And this is what I mean. I'm going to 2 Corinthians here. It says this. He's, he's talking about how in Christ, like the glory in Christ is better than the Old Testament, plus the glory of the Old Testament is revealed through Jesus, in, and the ministry of the, the Holy Spirit is better than the ministry of the unspirit-filled word. And he says this, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Amen? Sound good? You want to get free? You want to be free? You want to be free to walk in humility? That's what the Holy Spirit does. Now, a little bit more practical. How does it work? And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. And this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And in this one passage, we're being told, like, one of the ways we change is to see Jesus with love. To see his glory and be like, that's what you're like, Jesus, and that transforms us. Now, you you and I know that anybody you love, you become more like them. True fact. My favorite kind of music right now um, is retro gaming inspired electronic dance music. 
Yeah, Retro Gaming EDM. I didn't even know it was an acronym. Everything becomes an acronym. Why do I love retro gaming-inspired electronic dance music? Because my boys like Just Shapes and Beats. And so they listen to it, and it's cool. And so now every day driving the kids to school, we are pumping the bass. <laughs> we are going to pop those Dodge Caravan woofers so bad someday. Ears ringing. Because what they love, I love. Do you want to grow? Do you want to change? Love Jesus. See him as he is. Behold his glory. You change. When you love him and see him as he is, you change. The other thing we can do is work on actually being loved by God and believing we're loved by God. This doesn't come naturally. And it's not necessarily a testimony I hear from everybody who's grown up in the church that they feel loved by Jesus. In the book of Ephesians, people have said before that it's kind of split in between two halves. The first half is like the gospel, what God has done to rescue people from sin. And the second half is how we respond, how we ought to live. And right in between that transition from everything God has done in the gospel, that he sent his son, that he died for sin, that he rose from the grave, that he's humiliated the principalities and powers. So I think that might be Colossians, but they were kind of written at the same time. That he's seated us in heavenly places with him. After all that truth, before he begins to say, now do this, now do this, now do this, he gets down on his knees and he bows before the Father And he prays that God would give his hearers strength in their inner man, that Christ may dwell there, and they might know the height and the depth and the breadth and the width, and to know the love of Jesus that surpasses knowledge. And then he thanks him that God is able to do incredibly, abundantly more than he could ever ask or imagine. And what he's saying there is... If you're ever going to do this life following Christ and live out the truth of who you are and what God has done, you're going to need to know you're loved. So be loved. And if you see yourself not being too humble, maybe assume that you don't feel very loved by God right now, even though he does. Uh, Number two, work on your heart. When the disciples were like, isn't the problem the Samaritans? Yes, there were problems there, but Jesus rebukes them in their heart. Work on your heart first. Number three, try to answer the questions. When you feel frustrated, this is a parenting one. Jackie wants me to talk to the parents every once in a while. When you feel frustrated with your kids, you might try to answer the question, who's in my space and who's in my way? That's where this whole conflict with the Samaritans, the the disciples didn't think they belonged there anymore. They're in our space. And we're moving to Jerusalem. They won't let us in. They're in our way. I'm trying to be something. I'm trying to get somewhere. So you can always ask, is there someone in my space that I'm not seeing through the lens of Jesus? Or is there someone in my way that I'm not seeing as part of the plan of Jesus?
And number four, remember Proverbs 15.1, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Why are you yelling? Because you're yelling. Why are you yelling? Because you were yelling. So we should pray. The band can begin coming up. Jesus, I just want to confess, I don't, and maybe there's other people here, we do not believe that you can work your will through our gentleness and humility. We often think our anger or frustration or force is the only way to get things done. And I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. Father, I do pray again for all the rising conflict in the world and I pray for grace. I pray for grace. I pray for grace. I pray for grace. Without without judgment. And I know some stuff really needs judgment. I know it, God. I know it, God. I know it, God. So would you do that? Lord, you've told us multiple times that vengeance is yours. So, Lord, would you do it so we could trust you with it? Lord, would you help us, Lord, where bad things are happening and the injustice levels are getting really high, would you help us not to be caught in the snare of the enemy and become his servants? I pray, Lord, that you would really pour the Spirit into our hearts so that with the truth, speaking the truth in love, we, be, we are more and more your servants. Lord, I, I thank you that the big things are important and the little things are important. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for each one of the families that came out here this, this morning to say we want to give our kids to the Lord. And Lord, I pray you would bless each home with such humility and gentleness so that none of the love that's in their hearts would be lost to harshness and that you would grace them with the deepest unity And that every good desire that each one of these parents have would be more than fulfilled through the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name.